Amen. As many of you may have heard, I'll start off by just acknowledging this. My grandfather passed away just this past week. Uh, And so I found myself in St. Louis on Wednesday in order to attend his funeral. Um, And the funeral was very nice and clearly exactly what Grandpa would have wanted. Um, But what's also always neat when you gather together for these family events like a funeral is that you do get a time to just sit around and talk with some of your relatives or loved ones. And so sure enough, following the funeral service, that's where we found ourselves, me and my cousins, sitting around at Grandma and Grandpa's house, uh, sharing memories about good times that we had had together, and of course, memories of our grandfather, whom we loved so dearly. And it was a strong reminder to me of just how powerful this simple practice can be, of taking time to just share stories and fond memories that you have with those whom you love, how powerful of an experience that can be for everyone involved. Real emotions arise when you tell stories that have long since passed. And dare I say it, but I think the act of remembering and reminiscing in many ways is a spiritual practice. I was amazed by how much I felt the Holy Spirit's presence just sitting there with my cousins talking about fun Christmas memories from years and decades ago. I would like to talk to you a little bit more about this phenomenon this morning, this act of remembering. Our scripture passage that we're going to be looking at is the assigned gospel reading from Luke chapter 10. And I've titled this sermon, Remember God. Please pray with me. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. If you would... Um, open up those Bibles in the pew backs in front of you, or if you brought your Bible with you, to Luke chapter 10. Um, And I'd ask you to please rise. We rise when we read the gospel passage here at Reformation as a sign of respect and reverence for the word of God being opened among us. Here we read from Luke chapter 10. After this, Jesus appointed 70 Others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to the 70, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborers deserve to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. 
Now we jump ahead to verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying to Jesus, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Church, this is the good news. It's the gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. That is a powerful passage of scripture. There is a lot of good stuff going on there, a lot to unpack, but I want to focus at least initially on Jesus's statement to those 70 disciples whom he sent out in pairs to the neighboring villages. He tells them before they go, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, much has been written about this little phrase in the scriptures. Many people like to use this line to make a point, similar to the point I made last week during my sermon. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In other words, there is work to do. That's what I told you last week. Um, For those who are there, maybe listen to the podcasts are all online. You can listen to sermons from weeks before. But don't worry, you know, I know that television right now is only showing reruns, and so I'm not just going to give you a rerun of last week's sermon. If you want to listen to it, it's there for you. But we need to look at this phrase from a slightly different angle this morning. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now keep in mind the context of these words. Jesus is talking to disciples whom he is sending out to different villages that he intends to visit. And he's talking to them about how people need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the plentiful harvest that he's speaking of. There's a lot of people out there, Jesus is saying, who need to hear the good news about God's kingdom. Okay, keep that thought in mind. Now, 449 years ago, yes, we're jumping back. Stick with me. In 1670... There was a great philosopher named Blaise Pascal. And you might not know that name. You might not know why he's famous, but you will remember this quote. He wrote that every person has a God-shaped hole in their heart that only God can fill. Many different theologians and authors have since picked up on this idea. And I think, in a lot of ways, this is what Jesus was getting at when he said that the harvest was plentiful. Jesus understands to see that all of humanity struggles with some form of incompleteness, some form of emptiness that only the good news of God's kingdom can possibly fill. All of humanity has a God-shaped hole within them that they're trying to fix. All of humanity. Now, that is, yes, a plentiful harvest. And we see obvious signs in our world today That this God-shaped hole is still something that people are battling with. As the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. And we see that playing out in our streets 
and in our politics and in our families and amongst our friends again and again and again. People just don't treat each other quite right because they're not quite right themselves. Greed and corruption are rampant in our world because our world is filled with so many hurting people. Gangs continue to recruit new members because people are hurting and just looking for a place to belong. Every person has a God-shaped hole within them. And we all try and overcome this sense of incompleteness in many different ways. With some people, it's totally obvious, right? Some people are trying to cope with the hurt and the pain inside by turning to to drugs or or to alcohol or, or to shopping or to money or to sex or to food. People try and fill that hole with some sort of substance. But then there's other people who are still trying to fix this incompleteness that they feel in other not quite as obvious ways. I have a friend who is just incredible in what he is able to accomplish and do. And on the surface, it seems like he's got it all together. It's always seemed like he's got it all together. Because he's smart and he's successful and he is incredibly creative. He's always working on something new. And he has this uncanny ability to pull it off. New ideas for his community, new ideas for his school, new ideas for his job. He's always the one saying, why don't we try it this way? And then he works the phones and makes the calls and somehow magically makes it happen. And I remember being so impressed by this guy for so long and so envious of his ability to just get stuff done. And and certainly other people notice it too. He has won dozens of awards for his work. He has done, won dozens of awards and recognitions within his community because he's always the guy that's just getting stuff done. And the only real like, critique you could lob at this guy is to say that he's often so good about coming up with an idea and getting it started that he doesn't always see it through to completeness because he's already on to the next idea. But anyways, as I got to know this friend more and more, I began to realize that all of his work And his constant doing, 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 going from one idea to the next to the next, it was just his way of trying to fill up the pain that he was really feeling. Eventually, he had a sort of midlife crisis of sorts, and he was forced to confront the ways that his doing, doing, doing was actually just his ignoring, ignoring, ignoring what was actually hurting inside. And I remember him talking to me about how Time with his therapist really helped him to see the ways that he was just distracting himself from a whole bunch of unresolved issues. You see, there's lots of people in the world a lot like my friend, who on the surface seem like they've got it all together, but really they just have very creative ways of trying to fill up that God-shaped hole that we all carry in our hearts. And some people try and fill the God-shaped hole with other things. Maybe you're always trying to be helpful. Just always trying to be the one that someone turns to for help. But even that is its own form of distraction, isn't it? Or or, or maybe you're always the one who's following the rules and getting everyone else to follow the rules. Or maybe you're always carefully studying and planning for every possible outcome. Or maybe you're the one who just loudly asserts your opinion no matter what else other people may think. All of these are ways that we as humans try to cope with what's broken within us. 
There are all sorts of different ways that humanity has been for generations trying to cope with the incompleteness that lives within all of us. You can't fix the hole in your heart, church. You personally cannot do this. You can't fill it up with drugs and alcohol. You can't achieve your way to wholeness like my friend tried to do. You can't fix the existential incompleteness because only God can fill the God-shaped hole. I know I already quoted one old dead guy, but hear me out. St. Augustine said it perfectly, I think. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O God. And so all of this is really just a roundabout way of saying, yeah, I think Jesus is right when he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Because all of humanity is trying to find a way to fix what's broken inside themselves. And we don't seem to realize that try as we might, only God can fix what's broken inside. And now we need to be careful because there's a real tendency to get to this point and for us to all feel really proud of ourselves, right? We're in church on Sunday. We know that God's important in our life, right? That's why you're here this morning. But hear me clearly on this. Even church people don't quite get this right all the time, do we? We can be honest with ourselves. Even though we're sitting in the pews on Sunday, by Monday morning, we're already trying to fill that hole up with something else, aren't we? And I'm here to tell you, too, that even your pastor struggles with this in many and various ways. In fact, there was a time in my life when I was serving as a pastor, and I was miserable. I was working long hours. I was trying to get everything just right. And things were going pretty well at the church, as a matter of fact. I was getting a lot of things done. I was showing up to visit the people who were sick. And I was preaching on Sunday morning and leading worship. I was starting new ministries and handling the building usage in creative and important ways. I was getting our name out there in the community. On the outside, it looked like everything was going fine. And I couldn't figure out why I felt so sad and incomplete inside. And I'm grateful that I had a friend who asked me one day, say, so how's your devotional life? You see, outwardly, I was doing all the stuff that a good pastor should be doing. I was visiting the sick and leading worship, all the things that I just listed for you. But truth be told, at that point in my life, I wasn't really praying too much. I wasn't really reading my Bible all that much either. Sure, I had to read it to get ready for the Sunday sermon, but that was about it. In fact, I wasn't really doing any of the good stuff that connected me to God. And this forgetfulness, this inattention to my interior life, it was slowly killing me. And so this was a good lesson for me to learn. I was trying to fill the God-shaped hole in my heart with church work. What you think would work on the surface, but I'm here to tell you that, guess what? It doesn't work at all. Because even church work is not the same as letting God into your heart. We've got to take the time, church, to do our interior work. We've got to find out how it is that we connect with God and then make time for that connection every single day. Because if not, you will die inside. Let's be clear, there are many ways to connect with God, and hopefully Sunday morning is one of those avenues. Yes, 
hearing the word read to you, hearing a sermon preached, being inspired by the choir, singing your praises, gathering at the communion table. These are all meant to be open doors that connect you to the divine. But guess what? The week is much more than Sunday morning. You've got seven more days where you still need to find that time to connect with the one who loves you and created you. We've got to have a faith life that's more than Sunday morning. Because the tendency is for people to walk in here on Sunday and to maybe feel some sort of connection in their heart, but to then just go right back to the same empty ways of trying to fill that God-shaped hole. Only God can make us whole again, church. And unfortunately, so many people are quick to forget this truth. And let's be honest, when we forget that our heart belongs to God, isn't that the exact moment when sinfulness can occur? When you talk behind your coworkers' back, you've forgotten God in that moment. Forgotten who God created you to be and forgotten that God created that coworker that you're bashing. When you cheat someone just so you can have a few extra dollars, you're not thinking about God in that moment. You're thinking about getting more money for yourself. If you're covering up your pain with drugs, then you've forgotten about the God who loves you and wants to make you whole again. You see, church, sinfulness and forgetfulness go hand in hand. Sinfulness and forgetfulness are intimately connected. And when we forget about what God has done for us and what God wants from our life, we're already well on our way down the road towards sin. But do you know what that means? That means that the most important thing we could ever do is simply remember God. Remember God's love and purpose for your life. Remember God's promises to you Every single day. Take time to just remind yourself that you are loved by God. No matter what mistakes you've made. No matter who's in office or not in office. No matter how difficult the news might be that you're hearing. You are loved as you are. Remember every single day. That when you confess your sins. They are forgiven by God. Remember that God has a plan for your future that's filled with hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. Remember that you are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. Remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 38. You see, church, the Bible is filled with these promises that are meant to remind us again and again and again who we are and whose we are. These are the promises that God has given us to fill that God-shaped hole that we all struggle with. And as we heard Jesus say in the reading from Luke, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's only a few people out there, church, doing this work of remembering. There's not a lot of people who are taking the time to do this, and that's why we find our world in such a messed up place right now. Because we've simply forgotten God and forgotten who God has called us to be. And so we, as laborers in the kingdom, yeah, we have work to do, as I said in the beginning. But it's not that complicated. It's not that hard. It's honestly not that scary. It couldn't be simpler. Take time to remember God. Remember what God has said about you. Remember what God wants from you and from your life. Remember that only God 
can fix that incompleteness that you feel. Remember this, and you'll suddenly not find yourself walking down those paths towards sin that you so easily fall into. And then it goes just one step further. Our job also is to remind other people of who God is and what God has done. Help other people remember who they are and whose they are. As often as you can, remember the love of God for you and take time every day to share with others this truth about what God has said. Remind people that there is a God who knows them and who loves them immeasurably. This is our work, church. This is the plentiful harvest with the few laborers, and really it couldn't be simpler. We've got work to do, but all it means is to just remember God. Amen. Amen.